Uh, as you all can see, I'm in shorts. So Alyssa told me to tell you I was too tired to iron pant legs, so that's why I decided to do this. Baby, baby Ella's got her days and nights mixed up, which I'm like all babies do when they're first born. And so it's been pretty long nights and early mornings. But it's awesome. She is, she looks just like Liddy. She's gorgeous and she's a really good baby on top of being up at night. She's, she doesn't fuss very much and she's very happy. And so uh, as, as I was preparing this week and preparing at the hospital as we were sitting there, God was just talking to my heart about love and really the power of love that we kind of equate love to be some emotional, happy feeling kind of thing. But love is very powerful. And when God started to pour into my heart what love actually accomplished through Jesus Christ, it's the most powerful thing. And so I named this sermon Militant Love, and militant and love seem to be contradictory terms. We don't associate militancy with love. We associate militancy or militant or military with hate or anger and violence. And we look at the world and we see things like militant Islam, militant liberalism, militant feminism, if you like listen to Rush Limbaugh. And you see this anger and, and discontent with the world. And so people get militant and they, you know, bust windows and yell at the 1%, even though they all want to be the 1% and all those kind of things. But in the world, the good guys and the bad guys use militancy. They use their military to accomplish their goals and enforce their will on other people. And so if you understand that, you understand that the world is ran by militaries. America is blessed by God and very prosperous because of God, but also because of God, we have the biggest bad military the world's ever seen. We couldn't afford to be the way we are if we were just pushovers when it came military, mil militarily. And by the grace of God, we, our founding fathers had a revelation of what true freedom was, and we are not empirical in our military might, because if we are, you know, BTW, we could have taken over the whole world at any point in the last hundred years. That's how strong our military is. But we don't do that because of, like I said, the grace of God. And so we understand that militancy or military and, and love don't seem to go together, but love is a force that really truly exceeds the world's greatest force. Because what's a military do? A military breaks things and kills people. A really good military is really, really good at killing people. But love conquered 2,000 years ago the greatest thing the world could throw at love. 
because Jesus was the personification of love. And what did the world do to Jesus? Well, the greatest thing the world can do to someone. They killed him. But it didn't solve their problem because love conquered the greatest power the world knew, which was death. And so, so we see that love had conquered that, and we're going to get into it a little bit later. But we want to start out with motivation. We want to start out with understanding the motivation of Jesus Christ. And so in John 3.16, everybody knows it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What was God's motivation for sending Jesus? Love. And so we see this core principle. It wasn't justice. It wasn't to prove a point. It wasn't to come down and show the whole world how awesome he was. It wasn't for his own glory. God sent Jesus for love's sake. Because he loved us, God sent Jesus. And love was the point, and Jesus displayed love throughout his whole ministry. If you look at all the things Jesus did throughout his ministry, you see the woman caught in the act of adultery. What, what did Jesus give to her? He gave her love. You look at when Jesus saw the multitude, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion, and he healed them all. What was compassion? Compassion comes from love. You don't have compassion on someone you hate. You have compassion on people that you love. And so you see Jesus really fulfilling this. And love is a very powerful motivator. And I think we understand that. We understand that as people that love is a powerful motivator. You know, like a a car runs over a little baby and the mom picks up the car because she's motivated by love. I'm sure we've all heard stories like that where there's, you know, just miraculous things happen because of love because of the power of love. And it really comes to the fact, like, what wouldn't we do for our loved ones, for those people that we truly love, our kids for one? What wouldn't we do for them? We would do anything for them because we love them. Can you turn the air down? Thank you. And we know through reading the Bible, or you should know through reading the Bible, that love's kind of a big deal in the Bible. I mean, it says it like thousands and thousands and thousands of times. You read any of the books written by John, and love is literally the, the point of all of those books. And so us as Christians, God wants to perfect our love. He wants us to walk in love. He says, if you don't walk in love towards one another, then you don't know God, is what John says. In 1 John chapter 4, he literally says, you don't know God if you don't show love for the brethren. And so we understand this love, and we want to walk in this love in a greater depth, and we know that love is the point of Christian life. So in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1, it says, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and, and have not love, I have become a sounding brass and a clanging symbol. So I want you to understand that without love, we have nothing. You know, if we read the Bible and understand that God wants our love perfected, and we understand that without love, we have nothing, then we should be, we should have revelation of love. We should understand love. We should endeavor to know love in a greater depth, in a greater way. 
just like we talked about a few weeks ago when we were talking about 1 Corinthians 14.1, which that's not up there, don't worry about it, but it said pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. And we talked about those breakdown those words. Pursue means to pursue to the point of persecution and desire means to have warm feelings toward. So a lot of us want to pursue gifts a lot of people want to pursue the prosperity of God. A lot of people want to pursue you know, what God's going to give them, but not a lot of people want to pursue to the point of persecution, love. And love is the point. Love is why Jesus came. God is love. We're supposed to be like God. And so love should be the point of our lives. That that is not prosperity, not piousness not religiousness none of that stuff not i'm a good tithe payer but you should be known as a lover as someone that exudes love and if you have god's love you're going to exude love towards people that don't even deserve your love and that's the true manifestation of love because love becomes this emotion that comes out from us or not even emotion it becomes this force that comes out from us and love God loves because he is love. God doesn't love because we're lovable. And that should kind of blow your mind right there, that God's love is towards you no matter what you look like, what you do, how you act. Because his love is, is something that solely comes out from him towards his object of love, which is us. And it really has nothing to do with us. It's just like... I just had a new baby. Guess what? I love that baby. Has that baby ever done anything for me? No, except for wake me up last night. It's never done anything for me, but I love it because that love's coming from me and it's not based on what it deserves or earned or how it acts. And that's how God's love is towards us. And so when we see that, that love is just this motivation, this driving force of Jesus Christ, it, it, God kind of painted this picture in my head that if you're doing like a comparison between the cause of something and the effect of something, if my insecurity drove me to go work out 12 hours a day until I became this giant ripped buff guy, what's more powerful? The muscles I got from working out 12 hours a day or the insecurity that drove me to work out 12 hours a day. You know, what we, we, we see pictures of people all the time, like, like rich people that were poor, that grew up in poverty, and were driven because of their poverty to amass financial success. My grandpa was that way. He came from Kentucky up to northern Indiana and was made fun of because he had no shoes when he walked to school. And that insecurity and that, that, that getting made fun of and that not fitting in because he was so poor put a drive in him that he became very successful financially because he had that drive placed into him because of not wanting to be the kid with no shoes. And so that drive that we see, you know, what's more powerful? The money or the drive to get the money. It's the drive to get the money. I've heard this said before, and I think it's 100% true. If you took the 1%'s wealth and you gave it to the poorest of the poor, it would only take a few years before that had swapped back. 
Why? Because the 1% have the drive to go amass the fortune in the first place, and the poorest of the poor didn't have that drive. It's not like all of them would just you know, waste all their money on anything, but I'm saying that 1%, 100% would get their money back because they have the drive to get it in the first place. So I want you to understand that the drive, is, the, the motivation is the powerful thing, not just the effect of it. Not just what it amasses or what it gets or how ripped I get because I'm insecure. It's what drives us. And love is what drove Jesus. Love is what drove him to the cross. Love is what drove him to let men do what they did to him when he didn't have to. He told them, I can call 10,000 my angels and get out of here whenever I wanted. He had the authority and power to stop it at any point. But love held him in the will of God because he loved us and he loved God so he did what he needed to do and so in 1 John 4 it says he who does not love does not know God for God is love so right here this is we take love as a characteristic or we take love as something someone has, God is saying love is what I am. It's not divisible. He can't, you know, he can't change his mind on that. He is love. So God is love, and God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. And so we'll get down to why I titled this sermon Militant Love. Love is the core of God and his work on earth. And like I said, you just look at all the pictures of Jesus and where he expressed love. I mean, he, his whole life was that. He had compassion. He, he was expressing love when he was correcting the Pharisees and Sadducees. Why? Because he wanted them corrected from the error of their way. He loved everybody and was willing to do what he did on the cross for everyone. And so love as the motivation, love as the force behind what Jesus did, we need to understand that love literally conquers every enemy that the world throws at you. Because like we said, what, you know, what does the military do? A military kills people. What is the ultimate power? It says that Jesus came to us that suffered on the cross. Why? so that he could conquer death. He could conquer our enemy, the devil, who had power over death. And so death is this ultimate power, and you see love as this thing, this, this, this force that overcame death. That's what just really blew my mind about love, about how powerful love is, that the motivation of love caused Jesus to do what he did, suffer be lied about, be accused falsely, not even open his mouth to say anything against it, have his beard rip out, get beat, get spit on, get mocked, get a crown of thorns on his head, pick up a cross and walk it, you know, however many miles to a hill, die on this cross. But that wasn't the end of it because his love, his motivation of love for doing all of that, he also rose from the dead. He also conquered death through love. 
that if he can conquer death through love, he conquered the ultimate weapon of the enemy through his motivation of love. Because if he didn't have that love, he wouldn't have done it. He would have been like, you know, like two punches in the face in and been like, nah, I'm out. This, this isn't what I signed up for. I'm not going to do this. Yeah, my love's not that strong. But he had that motivation, and so he suffered that. So in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40, this is what Jesus said about love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So here's Jesus saying that love is the fulfillment of the law. In Romans 13, 10, it says, Love does not harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So if you're talking about the bond, God wants your love perfected. Well, that love is perfect. If you are in God's love, if you love like God loves, then guess what? You're not doing wrong to other people. Why? Because you're full of love. And so love really... Love solves its own problems. Love, love does, through us, fulfill the law perfectly. In Colossians 3.14, it says, But above all these things, put on love. So there's a choice right there to put it on or not put it on, which is the bond of perfection, which makes us perfect. Now, we don't like to talk about perfection in church because we all want to hold on to all of our you know, problems and excuses, but the truth is God did a perfect work in you. God's grace is sufficient to cause you to be what he says you can be in the Bible. God said, be holy like I'm holy. That wasn't a joke. He was being serious, but he didn't say do it in your own strength. He said, do it by faith because I can give you the strength to do it. Grace is strength to do what we can't do. The Pharisees and all their works and all their quote-unquote holiness could never be what God required them to be, which was perfect. But we can be through Jesus. We are through his covering, and we can walk in it because he gives us grace to do it. But love is the answer to successful living. True successful living is going to be found in love. Love, just like it says in Corinthians 13, just love is not easily provoked. Love is all these wonderful things. And if we are in love, if we have God's love inside of us, then we're going to be not easily provoked, not jealous, not angry, not any of these things that they always read at weddings because they don't want you to be mean to your wife or the wife to be mean to your husband. But we should, you know, we should do these things not to just our wife and husbands. We should be exuding this to the world. If we love right, then we will do all things right. That's the truth of it. Just like it said, love doesn't do any wrong to its neighbor, to its brother. You know, love is the fulfillment of the law. If you get those two down, love God, love people, then everything else falls in the line. Because obviously, if you love God, you're not going to go against Him. And if you love people, you're not going to steal, rob, and you know, do all these bad things to them. You're not going to lie to them because of love. And so love causes you to do all things right. 
Why was Jesus perfect in every way? It's because he had perfect love. He loved us perfectly. He loved God perfectly. Therefore, there was no place for failure in him. Now, this is like a theological question that you know, goes back and forth between people that you know, always ask the question, could Jesus have sinned? And it, and it always kind of falls along the lines of, no, Jesus couldn't have because he was God, or yes, Jesus could have because he was also fully man. And so what God kind of showed to me, and I thought it was pretty amazing, was that Jesus kind of, because of his motivation and his perfect love, he didn't sin. He didn't sin. He didn't sin not because he couldn't sin, but because his motivation and his love was so perfect that he wouldn't sin to a degree that that wouldn't was so strong because his love for God and us was so strong that his wouldn't became a couldn't. I mean, I know that's kind of like deep and kind of hard to understand, but, but when you're so full of love, when your motivation is perfect, then all of a sudden you're choosing not to becomes a couldn't because you would never choose to. And that's what Jesus did. He did not sin because he was God. He did not sin because he was perfect in love. He loved God perfectly, wouldn't go against him. He loved us perfectly, would do anything to have us unto himself. And so all of a sudden that, it wasn't a question of he couldn't sin or could he sin. It became a question of he wouldn't because of that love inside of him to such a degree that there was never an option. There was never a choice because he chose love, because his motivation was perfect. And so we'll look at why I say militant love. And, and, and first we establish that the ultimate weapon of military or militants or the enemy is death. In John 10.10 10, it says, The thief comes... He said, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So we know what the devil does. This is what the world and the enemy's just ultimate weapon is. It kills somebody. But Jesus overcame death. In Hebrews 2.14 it says, Insomuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death that is the devil. So he took, so, so his perfect motivation of love literally took the devil's best shot, the world's best shot, religion's best shot, jealousy's best shot, because that's why they really didn't like him. They were jealous of him. He took that best shot he took their spiritual nuclear bomb and still rose triumphant, still conquered death, still rose from the grave on the third day to prove that he was the Son of God and that he was a perfect man. Death had no claim on him because there was no sin in him. And so he took their best shot and won. So my question to you is how powerful is love? 
if it took all that the world could throw at it and still overcame, still conquered, still rose from the dead. You know, just how powerful is that insecurity if it drives some, you know, poor shoeless kid from Kentucky to become, you know, amass a lot of money. And that's just a worldly example. How powerful is that love that it motivated Jesus to conquer death for you? And so that becomes like the, the crazy thing is the, the truth of the matter is the object of love, the object of a love that was so powerful it conquered death is towards us. That kind of makes you not want to doubt anything, any of God's promises right there. Because a love so powerful as to suffer what it suffered. You know, most of us would have been out when like they came to us in the garden at night with a bunch of people with swords and been like, we're looking for Jesus. And we'd have been like, yeah, I'm not him. See you later. Like if you're honest enough, you might have like been like, yeah, yeah, I guess I'm Jesus. And then when they came up and started accusing you, all of us would have been out because we all have been arguing our own case. Like, hey, what are you talking about? I didn't say any of this stuff. But he suffered all of that because of love. And that love is towards us. So we should have such just expectancy that he already did that. So everything else is ours. Like if he already gave you the big, awesome, amazing gift of conquering death for you, then all the little things like prosperity, health, peace, all those other things, yeah, those are just thrown in. Those are just a given. We should accept all of those. But the problem is we don't, and one of the major problems is we don't, is we don't understand how much he loves us. Like the cross should tell us how much he loves us, but it just kind of goes over our head. It goes over my head. But we have to get a grip on that love, because that will change us. Religion won't change you. Faithfulness to church won't change you. Being a good tithe pair won't change you. But knowing the love of God will wreck you. Will change everything about you. All the brutality of the crucifixion, crucifixion like I talked about, was, was all the power the enemy had to display. I mean, that was it. We don't, there, there is nothing else the devil could have done. That was the total exertion of all of his authority and power was right there on that cross. Like everything he could do to Jesus, he was doing it at that point. There's, there's, there's no other power the enemy has. Once you know, death was his trump card. Death was what, just like I said, he held us in bondage to death. That Death was his trump card. Death was his nuclear bomb. Death was the thing the enemy had to hold over us, and, it, and he used it on Jesus, and it didn't work. It didn't stop him. And therefore, just like I said, our confidence level should be through the roof. We should be the happiest people in the whole world. We should be the most at-peace people in the whole world. We should be the most victorious, prosperous, 
joyful everything that the Bible says we should be, we should be it because He conquered everything because He loved us. I mean, it's just like, I mean, just like with your kids, it's, we need to understand that love because if we don't understand that love, then we won't partake of what the Father's given us. You know, if, if, if Owen didn't understand that I loved him and thought every time I gave him a gift, like he wasn't sure if it was something good inside of it or something bad inside of it. You know, he just wasn't sure. He didn't really receive that I loved him. So he thought, you know, hey, it might be, I don't know, like it might be a rat or a snake inside this box. He wouldn't open them because he wouldn't be confident that what I'm giving him is good. And that's what we do. We doubt God's love for us because of who we are, how fallible we are, and therefore we don't go after what he's given us. Because there's this question in the back of our head of, you know, does he really love us? Am I good enough to open this package? But the truth is, it doesn't matter. His love isn't towards us because we're good enough. His love is towards us because he loves us. Just like your kid. You, you, how many of you give your kid a present on their birthday? How many of you's children are absolutely perfect every single day of the year and actually deserve that present? I mean, how many of them are perfect on the day of their birthday and deserve that present? You know, they're like usually brats and throwing fits on the day of their birthday. But you still give them the present because you love them. And that's the same thing with God. So love is powerful. Love provides the motivation for life, the perfect motivation for life, and it becomes the context of everything else in Scripture. If you miss out on love, then it doesn't matter how much of the Bible you know, it doesn't matter how many gifts you have, you're missing it big time. And we see it. That's where, you know, that's why there's like 50 million different denominations and religious this way and religious that way and dress this way or dress that way or, you know, change, don't change. You better be holy, don't be holy, long hair, not long hair. All this kind of stuff is all based on the fact that they have religious knowledge, but they don't have love. And so they miss it by about 100 million miles. And that's why we need love, because love provides the context for all other scripture. It literally does. If you don't have the love of God or a deep understanding of the love of God, what you're going to do is read the Bible and become religious as opposed to free. And so it is the context in which we understand scripture. Without love, we fail at everything. But this is kind of the thing that I wanted to get to was the fact that love can't be faked. Like you can read all the scriptures about love you want and still not know the love of God because it has to come through revelation. And it has to come through not experience, but it does have to come through revelation and experiencing revelation. And so we can't fake love. I can't just like put on a fake smile and start being nice to people and all of a sudden I'm walking in God's love because it's not true. Like it has to come from here. It has to come from the Holy Spirit. 
And so in 1 John 4, 19, it says, which if you want to know a lot about love, read 1 John 4. But it says, we love him because he first loved us. Our reception of God's love dictates our ability to give love. That it's him first loving us unconditionally that causes us to be able to love others unconditionally. It causes us to be able to love God. I mean, really, because he loved us first, he sent Jesus. And now we're able to be sons and daughters of God. So I wrote down here, a.k.a., if you aren't very loving or you're selfish or don't really care about others or don't care about others as much as you should care about others, you have a receiving problem. It's not necessarily like, ah, oh, man, you're just unloving jerk. No, you don't know how to receive it from God. Because if you did, you would have it to give. And if, you don't, if you're not able to receive it, there's this tinge of insecurity in your life where you don't believe you deserve it. Where you don't understand that God's love is not given on a deserving basis. You can't earn it. You just have to receive it. Just like a parent's love. You can't earn it. You have to receive it. If your kid has to earn your love, then you are jacked up parent. But if you give it and they receive it, that's the beautiful thing. And so we have a reception problem when it comes to love. You don't understand how much God loves you, which is what we're going to talk about next week. Literally, the revelation of how much God loves you is what opens up all other revelation to you. I mean, you were drawn to salvation through love. The Holy Spirit drew us to salvation because we believed that he would save us. If we believed he saved us, we have to know that he loves us. He's not saving people he doesn't love. And so we're drawn to salvation through love, but then religion gets in there and doubt gets in there and unbelief gets in there and then all of a sudden we're Christians legitimately born again Christians who doubt what God will do for us because that becomes kind of the thing we wouldn't say no one's going to say if I asked every single person in here you know from the most spiritual to the least spiritual does God love you everyone's going to say yes God loves us but to understand to, to the acid test of whether or not we understand that God loves us is by how victorious we live. Because if we understand God loves us, if we understand God's love for us, then we're going to receive what he gives us, which is sonship, which is authority, which is anointing, which is freedom from sin, which is prosperity and everything else and healing and health we're going we're going to receive what our loving father gives us so you can say all day long oh yeah god loves us god's love god loves us but if you don't receive what he's giving you don't really understand how much he loves you if you're sitting bound by sin and saying god loves me 
then I'm telling you right now, you do not have an understanding of that love because that love came to set you free from sin. Not just forgive you for sin, set you free from sin. You're free from sin and death. We're no longer under the law of sin and death. We're under the law of grace, which is freedom. And so we need to be well established in that love. And so I want us to just, like I said, go in the next couple weeks probably. We're just going to focus on love. And, you know, there's like 50 sermons on love in John, 1 John chapter 4. I mean, the whole chapter is crazy, and he says love about 60 times in 20 verses. But we have to get it in our hearts. Like I said, you can't fake it. You're never going to be changed by mental absorption of religious truths. You're only going to be changed by what gets in your heart. Now, lots of times it has to travel from your head to your heart, so you read your Bible and you pray and you do all those things because it will make that passage, but it's got to be here because if not, we're going to live below the standard of a beloved Son of God. I mean, Jesus, when he came up out of the water after John the Baptist, after John the Baptist had baptized him, which... I mean, Jesus was always saved. Jesus is the Son of God. But for us, baptism is that representation that we were saved. So really, when Jesus has this picture of being baptized by John, it really becomes kind of an example or a picture of our lives when we get saved. And so at the moment of baptism, Jesus rises up and the heavens open up and this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So like I said, when salvation happens, we have this understanding that we are loved. But then Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And what happens? The enemy comes to tempt him. What does he come to tempt him away from? He says, if you are the Son of God. He left out the most important part, beloved. The enemy was trying to separate Jesus from the love because God said you're my beloved son the enemy says if you're the son of God do this do that bow down and worship me so instantly in our lives that's what the enemy does the minute you're saved he's trying to separate you from your beloved status because if we don't understand and believe that we are loved by God, like I said, we're not going to receive what He's given us. The victorious life that He died to give us. And so, we're just going to go forward into this thing and go in-depth into this thing because... Like I said, love is that ultimate motivation of God. Love is powerful. If it's powerful enough to motivate him to conquer death, hell, and the grave, then if it's in our lives in the way it should be, then we're going to be overcomers. We're going to be conquerors. We're going to be more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. This is our destiny. 
But the enemy's ploy is to separate us from that love, to separate us from that understanding. So let's pray. Just thank you, Lord God. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love. I thank you, Lord God, for revelation of that love, true enlightenment by your Holy Spirit about how much you actually love us. Yes, stinking, sinful, mess up all the time, us are loved, beloved, the apple of your eye. The Bible says that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet of all the prophets. But Jesus says, nevertheless, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So if David, who is in that other dispensation, is the apple of God's eye, then we are the stinking greatest apple of God's eye ever. We, you, are the apple of God's eye. You are the the jewel in his crown. You are his desire. He so loved you that he came and suffered and died and defeated all the world could throw at him. He was tempted, didn't sin. He was beat, didn't sin. He was lied against, didn't sin. He was crucified and died, didn't sin. And he rose from the dead victorious over all of our enemies. The enemy has, literally the devil has nothing else he can throw at us. There's not a more powerful thing he's throwing at you that he didn't throw it a million times more at Jesus and Jesus overcame and we get to partake in that because of love. Because he did it for love. His motivation was you. If his motivation was you, what will he not give to you? He will freely give you all things that pertain to life and godliness. So I just thank you, Lord God, as we go about this week, that we start to think on and and dwell on and meditate on your love. Because that's what we want perfected in us. I don't want a perfect knowledge of all Scripture so that I'm the headiest, smartest guy in every room I walk into. No, I want a perfect understanding of your love. I want to feel it. I want to bask in it. I want to live it. I want to, I want to show it to people. I want your love to dwell in me so that I can experience life the way life is supposed to be experienced. Just in the Father's favor. Always having the heavens open up and a voice from heaven saying unto me, that's my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So I just thank you, Lord God. That's our week. And that's every week going forward that we hear that voice from heaven that declares us worthy of his love. So we won't, stop, we won't keep turning away from gifts. 
We won't keep turning away from freedom. We won't keep turning away from joy and peace and security in You because we'll understand You've given it all because we are beloved. We are the object of a perfect love. An unconditional, perfect love. So we can be free. It's what we needed to be free. We needed your love. So I just thank you, Lord God, for just growing that in us. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you need prayer for anything, if you've never, if you've never experienced love in the way God wants you to experience love, which is a love that wrecks your heart. Because I'm telling you, I've experienced, I've probably only experienced a portion of His love because it is so great. But it wrecked me. It, it made me into something I wasn't before. Because with all of my hypocrisy and, and sin, He still looked on me with love. I mean, if that doesn't make you not want to do be a hypocritical sinner, I don't know what will. I mean, He has freed us through love. And so, just today, if you feel that in your heart, those aren't butterflies in your stomach, that's the Spirit of God drawing you to an encounter with God's love, I just implore you to come forward. Because love just it's amazing it's just amazing it doesn't even it doesn't make sense it doesn't have to make sense it'll fix all your problems because he loves you so much he fixed all your problems it's just what he does it's not because we deserve it it's because he's good so if you feel that i'm just inviting you to come forward but if not, you can be dismissed and go about your week really conscious of that. Like, God loves me. If you fail, be conscious of the fact that God loves you. Enough to make you not fail. Enough to pick you up, dust you off, and put you back on your way. That's the love of God. Every time we fail, it's there to pick us up, tell us it still loves us, and send us on our way so we don't have to fail anymore. That's grace. That's love. That's God. Church dismissed.